turn now to God's Word, and this evening we are in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, and they said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When he came, he looked on Eliab, Eliab and, th and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up, and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. 
Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Amen. And we praise God for his word. I was walking down the church road yesterday. I was on my way down here to church. Uh, I was heading to Iceland to buy some milk, and I was just pausing at the window of Isabella Page. I always enjoy that window uh, just to see what she's got. She changes it four times a week. And I was approached by this wee man, this wee old man on two walking sticks. And I know him from about the place. I don't know his name. I've driven past him, walked past him, uh, waved at him. don't know who he is. Maybe it'll ring a bell when I tell you the story. But I was approached by this wee man. He says, big fella, come here to tell you something. And I went over and he, he grabbed me like that there. And he says, come here, come here. And he says, I want to show you something. And he had a 5P piece between his fingers. And he says, come here, lick this penny, he says. Lick this penny. And I thought, well, it's a 5P piece, firstly. But I'm not going to lick your penny. You know, what? Are you, what's that? And your mind's running 100 miles an hour, and you think, I bet you this is a, a free Presbyterian plot or something. This old lad's a free pee. He'll get me to lick this penny, and then he'll announce it tomorrow at church, and they'll all denounce me as some weird apostate. So I'm thinking, what's this about? And he says, lick this penny. Because the idols would say, if you lick a penny, it brings you luck. What do you think of that, he says? I didn't know what to say. And he says, lick it, lick it, lick it. So I wasn't going to go down and lick it. But I licked my finger, and I licked this 5 peak piece. He says, what do you think? And what do you say? You know? So I thought, I better, I better say something uh, that, that just shows that I'm a man of God, that I don't believe in licking pennies to bring good luck. So I said, well, the one who trusts in the Lord need not fear. And at that his face changed. He says, brother, you're right. He says, you're right. But Jordy, I think he's talking about your brother because he says, do you know, there's a big man walks this town. He says, big Eddie. He says, big Eddie talks like that. And I was talking to one of the pastors down the street and he believes that. You are right, he says. If only more people believe that, this town would be transformed. And that's not just a made-up story because I was struggling for an introduction. I was struggling for an introduction until I was standing outside as a fellow pages. There's this wee old lad, 81 years old, two walking sticks, and he was getting me to lick a penny. And then all of a sudden we talked about how this town would be transformed if only more people trusted the Lord. I think I'm preaching to the converted tonight when I say stuff like that. I'm sure... Tonight on the way out the door, you would say amen to that. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you'd rather lick a penny. I've got one of those in my pocket if you want. 
But we're all on for that, aren't we? If only more people in this town and more people in this church trusted the Lord and had nothing to fear from this world, then this town would be transformed. We know that that's the case. We know it in our bones that that is the case. What is the answer to husbands knocking seven bells out of their wives tonight? Transformed hearts. What is the answer to individuals in this town who are addicted to drugs? Transformed hearts. What is the answer to sectarianism and bitterness that all too often blights our society and transforms hearts. And I'm not speaking about trying to be better, trying to be good boys and girls at the start of this new year, trying to do good things and, and fixing yourselves. We know that real transformation only comes not when you lick a penny, but when you bow the knee before Jesus. Folks, why did I start there? Well, that, I think, is where we see this passage going. Saul has been rejected as king. Samuel is full of grief at this. And as chapter 16 opens, the Lord comes to Samuel and says, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And friends, in that one verse, we we can often see the futility of our human existence because often our plans do not come to pass. This town tonight is not filled with transformed hearts. This town tonight rocks to the sound of the gospel, but the pews are not full. This town tonight is, is full of men and women going to a lost eternity who give no concern about Christ. If only they would see, we cry out, where is the Lord in this town? The Lord draws near and says, Why do you grieve, my children? I have provided. Samuel couldn't quite see it at this stage. He grieves over Saul, perhaps believing that God's plans have been thwarted. He grieves over Saul, a man that he has been working with for a long time. Uh, and Saul and Samuel at this stage, are their, their, their relationship has been broken. We see that at the end of, of chapter 15. But Saul uh, is still the source of Samuel's grief. The Lord says, Get up your horn with oil, go, for I have provided for myself a king. See, friends, the Lord meets our hopelessness in this town with his hopefulness. And it is not because we go tonight with magic pennies and, and news that oh, if only you will lick this or, or, or do other things, Mr. Magpie, I salute you, throw salt over your shoulder and, and have the magic formula, only then will God do something, not a bit of it. The Lord draws near to us tonight and whispers again, I have provided for myself a king. And so what is it that will take to, to see this town transformed, transformed, renovated hearts that are sold out to the cause of Christ? That is why we are here. And I've told you this before, but when I walk to church on a Sunday morning and I see the little diamond above our door, and I see the date that weighs heavy on me, I know I am not the first to climb into this pulpit. I will not be the last. But, but we come and we preach and we proclaim because we know that there is only one way. And his name is Jesus. We need to see transformed hearts in this town and in our church. And when we are filled with hopelessness, 
and when our expectations of God are low and when we believe that he cannot do anything with the difficulties that we face, he draws near and says, I have provided. And so Samuel goes. He goes even in fear. He says, what if Saul finds out, he will kill me first too. And the Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. I love that. Samuel's fear is not taken away. Samuel doesn't hear from the Lord. Don't be afraid. And that is a constant refrain in God's word. Fear not. Do not be afraid. But Samuel isn't told that here. Samuel isn't told. Saul won't find out. Don't worry about it. Don't panic. I'm in control. The Lord comes and says, do as I've told you. Get a heifer and go. Go to Bethlehem and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And so the last of the judges, Samuel does exactly that. And he comes and Perhaps those in Bethlehem are concerned about what this man of God has come to do because they ask the question, have you come peaceably in verse 4? Maybe Samuel, they thought, was coming to unleash God's wrath and judgment upon them, so they come with trepidation, and yet Samuel says, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice, and, and so they come. And the Lord is going to work. And the Lord has a plan. And the Lord has provided for himself a king. The Lord meets our hopelessness with hopefulness. And yet the Lord does not provide in a way that you and I would expect. This is a famous part of the Bible. It's beloved of all uh, children's addresses and Sunday school teachers. And perhaps we could do a children's address on this every Sunday for the rest of our lives. For the man looks at the inside and you and me, we look on the out. It's not right. It's not what we tell the kids, because that's what happens when they come. Uh, uh, Samuel looks on Eliab and thought, "Surely the Lord's anointed is before me." And this big lad, good looking, the, the, the son that you would send up somebody else's driveway to, to marry a daughter, the one that you would want to come up your driveway to marry your daughter. Surely this is the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. And I want you to see that tonight, folks, because the Lord meets our failures and our hopelessness with a plan of his own. And he meets it with a plan that doesn't look very sensible to the rest of the world. And if you were going to transform Baal the Hinch, would you do it by preaching? If you had a big white sheet out in front of you that you could map out a plan to transform the world, would you do it through through wooden pews and a gathered wee crowd like us and the preaching of his word? Would you do it that way? Would you use the, the foolishness of preaching? But if you were bringing a message that would transform the world and transform hearts, if it was left up to you, would it have been a message about a, a saviour? crucified, who is humiliated. You know, there are some false faiths tonight who look at Christ and say, what a nonsense. He's defeated that. He dies on the cross. A, a Muslim just can't get that. God dies on the cross. Nonsense, they say. Nonsense. And yet you and I know that it is not nonsense. The plan of God to transform comes through King Jesus, who doesn't come with a sword that he sharpens to kill all around him, but he comes and he lays down his life for his sheep. 
Christian faith does not seem to make much sense. And tonight we may not feel like a particularly strong church. You and I may not feel like particularly strong men and women. Perhaps we go into an office in the morning and we're all, yep, this week we're going to share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. And there's your boss's big ugly face looking at you first thing and you just shrink. You say nothing. You don't invite your neighbor to church because you, you're a bit embarrassed. You, you, you don't go to your family and, and plead with them the cause of Christ because when you don't want to rock the boat. We're like that, aren't we? We're not up to much. And yet the Lord draws near and says, Here is my plan to make Christ known and to see Balna Hitch transformed and hearts one for Christ. And friends, that is what we're about, isn't it? hope it is. Samuel looks and he thinks, here's the one. The good looking big fella. The Lord says, nope. I have rejected him, for I see not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this repeats. Jesse calls his other sons. There's Abinadab and, and others. Another seven. Shammah comes and all the rest of it. Jesse brings all the boys and yet the Lord has not chosen any of these. And so, again, you're, you're hopeless. What's Samuel thinking? Is he wondering, what is, what is the Lord doing? What's Jesse thinking? Surely my, my best boys are, 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 are here. Maybe if you have a, a load of children, maybe you've got a wee favorite one, do you? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. But grannies often have their favorites, don't they? Grannies and aunties often have their favorites. Maybe we're thinking there's, there's nobody like there's nobody like my eldest grandchild. There's nobody like my daughter. Maybe Jesse's a bit like that. Why is he rejecting all my boys? Because the Lord's ways are not necessarily our ways. And because the Lord's plans don't necessarily make sense to us. And the way we judge things is, is not necessarily the way the Lord does. And so there is one more. And it's important to note that, that David's not ugly. All right, he's not a, a bronze medal. He comes and the word tells us in verse 12 that he is ruddy. So he's a red-faced wee youngster. He's been out in the fields. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So it's not that he's a boot. It's not that he looks like a, a well-slapped backside. He doesn't. He's a good-looking young lad. The whole point of this is that's not what the Lord's plan is about doesn't plan to use only the churches that look the part. He doesn't plan to use only the people who look the part. I like to think that I am a, a good-looking preacher. I really do. Uh, I was mocked this morning in the prayer meeting about my dress. Uh, they said, oh, look at John. I can tell John's preaching today. He looks so well. Where's you, Scott? You? And I thought, well, just to slap it up you. I'm not going to get changed this afternoon. This is the way I'll preach tonight. So drink it in. Drink it in. Check on check. Much to Jimmy's disgust. But you know what? It's never been about what we look like. It's never been about how you're dressed in church. One of the great tragedies, one of the stories that I think about often is, is when I consider my home church of McQuiston Memorial. Back in the day, it was the place to be. Place to be. Could hold about 600 people, and it was bung to the gills. Sunday night, place to be. 
He wanted a man or a woman place to be. McQuiston, there was nowhere like it. But there was a wee hall associated with McQuiston down in a place called Canton Street. And most of McQuiston moved up the road to the Castle Ray Hills with the beautiful people. Most of the dirtbags lived in Island Street and down that way, uh, and up the Newton Arch Road and, and round from McQuiston, and some of them went to Canton Street. And do you know why some of them went to Canton Street? Because once upon a time, if you weren't fancy enough and you couldn't dress up enough, then McQuiston wasn't for you, you would go to Canton Street. May the Lord forgive us that nonsense. And we have turned his faith and his church into a playground for the beautiful people. Friends, it has never been like that. And we can come into a, a nice building like ours, and, and it is a nice building, don't get me wrong, but you know what? See, if we met the night in Wilbur McCautry's shed, we would meet in the presence of God. And see, if we came here tonight and, and all we had to wear was an old dirty t-shirt that we'd been digging the garden in, we meet in the presence of God. My friends, drill that into your head. It's not about looks. Looks will not change this town. It's not about dress. That's not going to change this town. It's not about the, uh, the, the money that we spend and all the fluff and all the fancy stuff. That's not going to change this town. What brings change to this place? Oh, that this town would be transformed. The Lord brings the change. The Lord brings the change as his word is preached old way is the best. The Lord brings the change when his gospel is fearlessly proclaimed everywhere where there's a pulpit, the gospel is proclaimed. The Lord brings the change where men and women like us, imperfect men and women like us, plant our feet and take a stand for the truth of God. The Lord brings the change. The word is preached, the spirit moves, and before we know it, we see things that we never expected to see before. I always remember my sister-in-law phoning me one night, and, and you never look forward to that. I love my sister-in-law, but, you know, I don't want her ringing me too much. And she phoned one night, and she told me she was saved. And to my credit, my lack of my credit, to my shame, my first reaction was, no, you're not. And I didn't say that, thankfully. I engaged my brain, which I don't always do, but but I didn't I didn't say it, but I thought it. No, you're not. No way could you be saved. And then I remember a time that I was talking to my Auntie Eileen. And I love my Auntie Eileen, but I want her to ring me even less than my sister-in-law. My Auntie Eileen is, if you look up the phrase, eat the bake off you, you'll see her picture, because that's what she does. And I was sitting talking to her one time, and she says, me and your Uncle Sammy trusted Christ. Did you know that? I said, nope. Sammy's Bible that his friend had given him who led him to the Lord and, and there I was because, do you know what? When it comes to my family, I think the gospel's powerful but the woodburns are stronger. They'll fight it to the end. And there's little individuals in my family who have bent the knee to the Lord, not because I was faithful, I wasn't, but because others were faithful pointing them to Christ and saying, you need to be saved. You need to know Jesus. You need to have a transformed heart. Folks, may we be men and women who realize that. The gospel is not this weak nonsense, not this sort of 
thing that people do when they've run out of bright ideas, something that they share when, when all the money's run out, the gospel is the power. It is this good news that Christ has died for sinners and was raised from the dead for our justification. This is good news. And why is it good news? Because the one who believes in Christ need not fear, need not be a slave to luck, need not cross their fingers and lick pennies. The one who trusts in Christ has been saved and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And it is as the Lord says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my way. There's the gospel. There's the transformation. And my friends, if we got that a wee bit more, then maybe we would share it a wee bit more. Maybe we would take more risks. Maybe we wouldn't be waiting for that perfect opportunity when the music is right and the time is right and everything else is right. You see, if it was left up to me, I'd be standing before you tonight as a single man. I would never quite have got round to asking Jenny out because, again, to my shame, I didn't ask her out. Jenny and I were meeting for coffee, and we are met about three times. I don't even like coffee. And we met for three times, and there we are sitting in Castle Court one day because maybe I didn't ask her out, but I knew how to treat a girl. Took her to Castle Court. And Jenny said, well, are we going to do something about this? I was like, yes, please, I'd like to go out with you. Thank you very much. You know, left to me, no chance. I'd have been a lonely waster up in that manse up the road, having John Brogan around every night teaching me Irish folk songs or, or something else. But folks, may the Lord give us a, a fire in our hearts. Hearts to realize that it's maybe not the right time in our eyes, but maybe it's the perfect time in the Lord's. Eyes and, and faith to realize that, that my plan tomorrow is to do this, this, and this, but maybe the Lord's plan is to do something else. Maybe the Lord's plan providentially is to, to cause you to have a puncture on your way to work, you're late, and all the rest of it, but lo and behold, when you stop at uh, uh, Apple Green to get a coffee, you bump into uh, an old schoolmate you haven't seen in 20 years and boom, you share the gospel and boom, the gospel works and boom, the spirit transforms a heart. Imagine but do we look at life with those eyes? David was not the guy perhaps you would have looked to he's the guy that the Lord had picked he was not the biggest and the tallest and the oldest and the richest and all of that but he was the one who the Lord had I have provided for myself a king, says the Lord. And of course, there's a bigger plan at play here. It's not just so Saul can be replaced and everything's great. David was a, a man who, who was after God's own heart, but a man who got things endlessly wrong as well. But we know the bigger plan, because from David there would come another king, the king of king, the one and the line of David who would claim the throne forevermore and we we see that in Genesis 49 the word says the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples in Genesis 49 
the Lord says, a king is coming from Judah. He's always going to rule and he's always going to reign. And here in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord has a king of his own choice. And thinking ahead, Jesus will come from this young guy out in the field, a young shepherd boy called David. My friends, may we trust the Lord in all his ways. And may we realize that that even in our hopeless situations, the, the times that we just can't figure it out, and even in the times where our hearts are not ablaze and we're, we're a bit tired and grumpy about the whole Christian faith thing and we haven't been to church in weeks because sure, what's the point? I get nothing there and it, sure, it's, it's rubbish and I'm not just in a good place. Well, even in those moments, the Lord draws near and restores us takes us and uses us to make known the Jesus who came from the David, who replaced the Saul, all according to the sovereign plan of our God. Oh, that this time would be transformed. And how does it come? In ways that we can't imagine. Where does it come? In places that maybe we have not set our feet. But the Lord is not afraid of one single inch of inch or beyond. And the Lord is not out of limits or out of bounds when he enters and power homes and broken places and hallways. My friends, may we believe with passion and strong faith that the Lord is able to transform hearts by Jesus. By Jesus Christ and him crucified. And tonight to encourage you folks, I, I want to remind you that, that your evidence of I love listening to John preaching, and I always make notes uh, when he preaches. And he said this this morning, we are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. You are the bride of Christ. And he says it in a lovely way. He's got a lovely accent and all, but that's what he said. We are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. You are the bride of Christ. And when you were looking for your bride, gentlemen, and ladies, when you were looking for the man of your dreams, I bet you you didn't sit down and say, well, I hope he's a belly down to his knees. And I hope he's as bald as a coot. And I hope she's got a big nose. And I hope she's as ugly as that spear to keep out in the shed. I bet you you didn't think like that, did you? Nobody thinks like that. And yet at times when we look at ourselves, it's a good description of who we are spiritually. Men and women who have been redeemed but still show that ugly face of sin. And yet, we are a people of God's own possession. Friends, understand that. Tonight, not one of us sought God out. We see that in the Psalms. In Psalm 14, we we read that the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. But they've all turned aside. And together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And this describes our spiritual condition. And how then were we going to be saved? How then would we would we be able to be redeemed and restored and have brand new hearts? How was it going to be? Only because the Lord himself 
sought you out. Did you get that? The Lord sought you. You didn't seek Him. You didn't wake up one morning and say, do you know what, I'm going to find the Lord today. I'm going to climb a mountain. I'm going to do lots of different things. I'm looking for Jesus. Not a bit of it. Left to our own devices, our hard, sinful hearts would have stayed that way, wanting nothing to do with Him. And yet the Lord moved in power in your life and took that heart of stone and gave you that heart of flesh and transformed you and is transforming you. My brothers and sisters, it's maybe a long time since anybody said to you, I love you. But in Christ, that's exactly what the Lord has said to you. With all your flaws, with all your faithlessness, all your hopelessness, with all the times you've been rubbish and nonsense, the the Lord has sought you out and claimed you as his own. Friends, see that. Just as that day David was chosen as the one, so too there was a day that the Lord laid his hand upon you for the first time and gave you a heart of flesh, caused you to be born again, caused you to accept the free offer of the gospel, caused you to be saved. That's you. And the next time you're walking down Ballon Hinch and you see a penny and you drop your knees with your tongue out, get yourself up. Because you are not born to be on your knees looking for pennies. You are born to be on your knees before your heavenly Father who loves you, sought you, paid the price for you, has redeemed you, and restored you, and is making you more like Jesus. David wasn't perfect, but he was a man who loved the Lord. And he stood in stark contrast to Saul who who had rebelled against the Lord. He did not trust the Lord. The Lord had removed his spirit from Saul and moved on. David would be the king and we see the result of that as these verses end chapter 16. The Lord sends a harmful spirit to torment Saul and we see here a glimpse of what the Lord's judgment upon us is often like. Some read that and think that it is an incredibly nasty thing that the Lord does but let me read a great quote to you that I was helped by this week. Saul's tortured state, says Robin Bergen, was a supernatural assault by a being sent at the Lord's command, and it was brought on by Saul's disobedience. And Richard Phillips says, God is love, and therefore he hates all evil, including Saul's sin. But Saul's judgment is a warning of the far greater torment that sounds in hell that we will experience as a result of God's deliberate, eternal punishment for sin. You see, friends, this is why you and I, as unlikely as we are, and as unfaithful as we are, and not as bright and shiny as we like to think we are, but this is why the Lord has placed us in this time, in this time, See, let it sink in tonight. There are friends and neighbors and colleagues at work who have hearts of stone. And they're like Saul who was tormented by a harmful spirit. And maybe they can't figure out why they're depressed. 
maybe they don't understand why life always seems so hard. Maybe, maybe they don't realize why it is that nothing seems to satisfy. That was Saul's problem. Instead of turning in repentance to the Lord when, when the harmful spirit comes, instead he says, get me some music, cheer me up. And of course the Lord brings David into the court and the plan is working out and David's music cheers Saul up. But he doesn't repent. We live in times where men and women fill their wee heads with all sorts, but they do not repent. And it was the church father, Augustine, who said that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. Friends, this should drive us. We have men and women who perhaps tonight would happily lick a penny and change their circumstances. Yet as we sit in these pews, imperfect people, weak in the eyes of the world, we know what will change men and women's circumstances. Or should I say we know who will do Friends, tonight if you do not know Christ, then get to know Christ. Tonight if he is your enemy, then may he soon be your friend. Tonight if you are dissatisfied with life, then I can't promise that everything will be fixed in the morning, but I can promise that you will know Christ as a faithful and loving Savior. And how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. And I've experienced it in my own life, and so have half of these ones. So my friends, why would you not trust Christ? You see here, David man after God's own heart. And we see here Saul, a man with a hard heart. And I urge you tonight not to be a Saul, but with the weight of the world in your shoulders, flee in faith and repentance to the Lord and see how he transforms guilty sinners like us. See, David may well have been a man after God's own heart. Tonight I rejoice that we have trusted a God who is after man's whole heart. And when he seeks it out, he transforms it totally. And prayers are answered that we never thought could be. And lives are changed that we never thought would be. And we set our feet in places that we never thought we would be. may still be those ugly looking believers who, who don't forgive and who constantly trip up and stumble and we, we still may do stupid things but brothers and sisters be encouraged tonight by what God has done in you and as the apostle says consider your calling not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful not many were of noble birth God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So 
that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, Eden Grove, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Oh, that this time would be transformed. Oh, that our hearts tonight would be renovated. Perhaps the Lord will do that work tonight and in the days to come. We know that it will be incomplete this side of glory. But I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in us bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Come, Lord Jesus.